All right, go ahead and turn to 2 Peter, if you haven't already, uh, in your Bible or a device or whatever you may have. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, all of it, and uh, even some difficult things in it. And I pray you'll just give us wisdom that we lack and uh, help us be changed and more like your son because of it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so a little recap. We've been going through uh, the book of 2 Peter. And in the first chapter, uh, Peter uh, is simply reminding us of some uh, qualities that he wants every believer to be growing in. And he says uh, in chapter 1, verses, verse 5, he said, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And he tells us why we should do this. He says, For these quali- if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when I was reading this again, my thought was, how is my effort? How is your effort in increasing in all of those qualities that Peter reminded us of? He goes on in uh, verses 16 through 21 and telling us and reminding his readers how he and other apostles knew Jesus and walked with Jesus and was with Jesus, and they heard the voice of God as well. And last week, Pastor Steve taught us that their experience seeing Jesus and the testimony of the prophetic word of God in the Old Testament guarantees us that Jesus is coming back one day, and that's good news. I believe Peter is also making the case that he, along with the other apostles, also have the prophetic word of God. They speak for God. And so then he says in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 1, he says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So all Scripture has come from God and not from man. That was the point he was making. And then we have to quickly jump to chapter 2. So uh, the Bible wasn't written with chapter and verse in it. Those were added in the 1500s to make it a little easier for the reader. But we have to quick, j- jump, jump quickly to chapter 2. And that first word there, it says, but. So he says, Peter says, there's Old Testament scripture. God spoke to us, the apostles, and we also speak God's word. But. False prophets also arose among the people, the people of Israel. So in chapter 1, he was talking a little bit about the Old Testament prophecy. And he says, but false prophets also were there. And then he says, just as there will be false teachers among you, the church. So we have to understand that there are false teachers out there that are trying to deceive us, that are trying to take us away from the truth. And if you want to read a little bit about the Old Testament false prophets, I would encourage you to read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13 and chapter 18 and Ezekiel 13, but we don't have time to do that. I'll read a couple verses from Deuteronomy 18. In verses 20 through 22, it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? He says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. It was the word of man, not the word of God. And he says, you need not be afraid of him. So the punishment for false prophets was death in the Old Testament. So back to 2 Peter. He says, there will be false teachers among you, the church. We've got to realize that they are out there. They are trying to deceive us. And I think it was mentioned last week that um, with the onslaught of media, there are more and more and more and more that we have access to. So the question is, how do we identify them? Or how, do we, how can we spot them, as our notes say? 
So a little story uh, of mine that my son Jack, when I said I'm teaching about false prophets, he was like, oh, you have to tell the story. So I said I would. Um, it was about in 2010, we were visiting my wife's family in Washington, D.C., and we were at a mall, a very large, huge mall. And me and my son Jack, we were, uh, we were walking, and we were with uh, my brother-in-law and some of other, Tammy's other family, but they were kind of ahead of us, so like from here to the back of the, the room here. And so uh, my son Jack saw them talking to some people, and he was like, Dad, who are they talking to? And so I saw that they were in black pants and white shirts and ties. And I was like, well, let's go find out. This will be fun. <laughs> and so we walk up. And, uh, and so uh, I, you know, I just walk up. I introduce myself. And I said, you know, this is my, my brother-in-law you're talking to. And he was probably, I don't know, 17 at the time. And I said, what are you guys talking about? And there was a couple, couple guys there. One of them's name was Jimmy. And so Jimmy says, oh, we're talking about God. I'm like, oh, that's great. We're talking about Jesus. And I'm like, that's great. We're talking about, you know, the Bible. And I'm like, mm, that's great. You know, I've got one on my phone. Let me pull it out. And you saw him just kind of like, uh-oh. <laughs> and so... Um, we talked there for a few minutes with Jimmy, and uh, Jimmy told me all about Jesus, who was the leader of his church. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, um, you know, our leader, and this was a group from South Korea, and uh, he said, well, our leader, whatever his name was, uh, is the second coming of Jesus. I'm like, really? Wow. And uh, so I said, well, well, tell me about him. And he's like, well, well, he died in like 1986. And I'm like, but he's Jesus? He's the second coming of Jesus? Yeah. And he told me all about God's wife. You know, God's wife that he has, Mother God, and all this other stuff. So I started talking to him, and I said, you know, I'm not sure about this. You know, show me in the Bible where this stuff is. And so he pulls out his Bible, and he's showing me some passages. And I'm like, I don't know about those, because look at the verses around it. See what it says. I'm not sure that's really talking about what you mean. And so I said, how about I call you later and we talk? And so Jimmy, he was like, sure, I'll give you my phone number. So he gave me his phone number. So we had to leave. And so we went back home and got back and I called Jimmy and uh, um, he didn't answer. So I texted him and I said, hey, this is Brett, the guy from the mall. Let's talk more about Jesus. This would be great. And I got no response. And then 10 minutes later, this guy calls me up and it was not Jimmy. He said, I am Jimmy's supervisor and you are a false prophet. You are a false prophet. And he's like screaming in the phone. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, you're a false prophet. And he's like, you're the false prophet. And if you say that again, I'm going to call our lawyers and we're going to sue you. And I'm like, what? We're talking about Jesus and you're wanting to sue me? And uh, so, um, so anyway, he hung up the phone after screaming at me. And Jack is just cracking up laughing. He's hearing this whole thing. And he was like, get him, Dad, get him, you know. And so, um, you know, we got off the phone. And probably 10, 15 minutes later, I tried to call again. And the number was disconnected. And so then I sent an email to the, whatever their church is in South Korea. And, um, you know, I said, you know, I think, you know, you're, your young men here are deceived, and I was threatened with legal action. It was called the false prophet. And so they emailed me back, and they're like, why don't you give us your address so that we can come visit you and send you to a church? And uh, so anyway, I was called a false prophet, and I was calling them a false prophet. And the question is, who's the false prophet? Who is it? We've got to figure out who that was. It was them, of course. <laughs> um, but that's kind of what we're, we're going to answer. And the more digging I did about this group, it's a huge group in South Korea, a couple million people. And they follow a dead guy who says he's the second coming of Jesus. And they have a mother God as well as a father, Godfather. So he says, back to 2 Peter, uh, chapter 2, and verse 1, he says, But false prophets also arose among the people. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. I believe Peter had in his mind and was thinking back to when Jesus said, uh, as recorded in Matthew 24, Jesus said, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 
For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So these false prophets, Peter says, will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So I want you to pull out your notes. Um, I've got several headings here on one side, um, and we're going to fill in those blanks really quick, okay? The, the headings, just the headings. And then as I go through our, the sermon, I'll try to point out what to write in the other ones, okay? And if you miss something, it's okay. You just ask me another time, and I'll help you fill them in. But let's look at the first one. So how do you spot false teachers? The first thing is that their teaching destroys. Their teaching destroys. And the second thing, their tactics exploit. Their tactics exploit. Third, their followers are enticed. Fourth, their motivations are selfish. And lastly, their trouble awaits. So their teaching destroys, their tactics exploit, their followers are enticed, their motivations are selfish, and their trouble awaits. So false teachers will secretly bring in destructive heresy. So under where it says the teaching destroys, you can put destructive heresy. They bring in destructive heresy. That's what they're teaching. And under their tactics, you can write, they secretly infiltrate the church. So their teaching destroys, and they secretly infiltrate the church. So false teachers, they don't show up with a scarlet letter on their shirt saying, I'm a false teacher. They're not going to walk through the church doors and say, here I am to teach you false things and to spread heresy and to draw you away from the truth. That's what I'm going to do. That's not how it happens. Most of the time, false teachers are actually pretty good teachers. And they mix in a little bit of truth and they mix in a little bit of falsehood. They mix in a little bit of God's words with a little bit of man's words. And it makes me think of Adam and Eve when Satan tempted them, right? He was, he was slick. He was a good talker. He took some of God's words and twisted a few of them to confuse them a little bit and say, did God, did God really say that? Maybe he did. I think he did. And he, he said some truth and he said some error. And it was destructive. It destroyed their lives. It destroyed the lives of everyone after with sin. So false teachers secretly bring in destructive heresy. The word heresy there is the same word as the word sect, S-E-C-T. It means that there's a teaching that's so distinct that it has a possibility of defining a whole other group or a whole other sect of belief that breaks off from the truth of Scripture. And it tears people away from the church. And those beliefs are very destructive to the church body, they're destructive to individuals, and even sometimes those teachings, the word destructive there means damnable. Their, teachers ha or their, their teachings have the potential to basically drag people to hell with them, is what their teaching does. So an example in our day could be like that group I mentioned to you, that I mentioned to you, that I talked to in the mall. It could be, uh, you know, there's another group, um, lots of us know them. They believe God's, it's God's word is the Bible. It's good, right? They believe Jesus is God's son. They believe Jesus died on the cross. But if you ask a little further, they also believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer, Satan. Or they believe that Jesus is just a man who did so much good, he achieved godhood, just like we can. And someday we could be a god of our own planet. Some of it sounds really good. But when you dig a little deeper, a lot of it's really bad. And it can cause destruction because it comes with eternal consequences. Last week, Pastor Steve mentioned a couple groups that Peter was speaking against. He was talking about people dealing with teachers who denied that Jesus was going to come back. So there was no judgment. So therefore, they could do whatever they want. I'm going to live however I want and just... Live it up, because if Jesus isn't coming back, then there's, there's no judgment. So I get to do whatever. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel 
Jesus preached or Peter or Paul. Jesus came preaching, repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is here. And later on, he said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. So faith in Jesus leads us to repent of our sins and turn from sin in obedience to God. Not disobedience, because we think he's not going to come back. He was dealing with that. Another group that Pastor Steve talked about um, was a group that talks about like hyper grace. Okay, this sounds great. This is like, this is a good deal if it was true. Okay, it's basically saying that we're living under the grace of God. True. All my sins are forgiven. True. So whatever sins I commit, God knew I would commit, commit them and they're forgiven. That's great, right? It's pretty good. It's true. And so I just live my life. And if I sin, I sin. It happens. And I don't have to be accountable to anybody. Okay, so that's just a, a little twist that's like, well, maybe, maybe that's right. No, I don't know. They're saying there's so much of God's grace that I can just sin, and I don't, you don't, don't tell me that I sinned. God already knows about it. You don't need to know about it. And so what that does is, again, it takes away the accountability to the church, takes away the accountability to God. And Romans 6.1 says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace can abound? The answer is by no means. That's the strongest negative word in the New Testament. By no means. You shouldn't go on sinning so that God can give you more grace. That teaching is false. When a teacher teaches a little truth, and they're very slick about it, and they work it in with a little bit of uh, a lot of truth, maybe, I have an affectionate little term I like to call it. Maybe this will be the only thing you remember. They're putting a little poop in the brownies. Okay? Imagine somebody, if they're upset with you, they want to cause some destruction in your stomach. And they bake you brownies. But beforehand, they went in the yard, they got, found a little present from the puppy, and just put a little pinch of it in there. That's what they're doing. Except the destruction is eternal, has eternal consequences from these false teachers. Put a little poop in the brownies. It looks really good on the, on the outside. And it sometimes might even taste good, but when it gets in you, it's going to be destructive. One of the main heresies the false teachers secretly bring in, Peter says in verse 1, that they deny the master who bought them. So put that under the, where their teaching destroys. You can write, they deny the master who bought them. Who's the master who bought them? Who is the master who buys us? Jesus. And how did Jesus buy us? With his what? With his blood on the cross. But these teachers, some of them deny the master who bought them. Some of them even go so far as to just flat out deny his existence. Some people do say that Jesus is just a figment of people's imagination that helped them out. Or maybe he was this ghost that people made up to make them feel better. Um, they deny sometimes that God or that Jesus is God's son, so that means he has no authority over anyone. Some people deny that Jesus arose from the dead. Some people deny that Jesus never sinned. Some people think he did sin. But this verse clarifies and says that false teachers deny that he is their master who bought them. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So what? So glorify God in your body. When someone denies that Jesus Christ has bought them with his blood, they act as if they are their own master and Jesus is not their master. So they do whatever they want. This says, for all of us who are believers, you are not your own. We've been bought with a price, the price of Jesus' blood, so glorify God in your body. A false teacher who denies Jesus as his master is not going to live for the glory of God. They're going to live for the glory of themselves. One of their selfish motivations on your paper is you can write that they live for their own glory. They're motivated by their own glory and people looking to them and lifting them up 
to say, look at him. Look at how awesome he is. Look at what a great teacher he is. Look at how dynamic he is. They want their own glory. But as Christians, we glorify God in our bodies. And it says here that their trouble awaiting them is their own swift destruction. They're bringing upon themselves swift destruction. You can write that down under their trouble awaits, their swift destruction. Verse 2, we're only on verse 2, it's okay. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. So those who follow false teachers are enticed by their sensuality. Their followers are enticed, in the middle of your notes, by sensuality. This means, this word means an excessive indulgence of liberty and having contempt, or they hate the restraints of law and morality. They throw it out the window. They want to do what they want to do and live however they want to live. And this is one of the ways false teachers entice their followers is through sensuality, whatever they want to do. Some people would call it loose living. You could write that in there. Loose living. False teachers are looking for people who will follow them and enjoy and love their same type of sinful sensuality that they enjoy themselves. It sounds very appealing to live however you want to live, right? Follow me and you can live however you want to live and not worry about the judgment of God. That sounds great, but it's not true. Then it says, and because of them, the false teachers, the way of truth or true Christianity will be blasphemed. It'll be maligned. It'll be mocked. It'll be made fun of. So here's how this works, right? Here's how it works. People who aren't Christians, people who don't go to church, when do they hear about churches and pastors? When there's a scandal and it's all over the TV. And maybe a pastor had a moral failure sexually or they, they messed with the church's money. And, it, and they get put on TV because maybe it was a big church. Maybe they, had, they were a prominent pastor and everybody knew them. And I just imagine... I can just imagine these reporters saying something like, you know, the, the self-proclaimed preach of the gospel of one of America's well-known megachurches have proven yet again why many people in America simply don't trust the church these days. We've heard that. So these false teachers, if you, I'm not saying that every, every pastor is this superhuman who doesn't, doesn't sin. But when it does happen, and there is this failure. And let's say you mix that with somebody who's a false teacher, the consequences are even greater. And people begin to say, see, I've told you, they're all the same. All those Christians are just hypocrites. All those pastors, they're just out for themselves and the money. So the way of truth is blasphemed by these false teachers and their sin. Verse 3 goes on to say, and in their greed, this is one of their motivations as well, their greed, in their greed for money, lots and lots of money, they will exploit you with false words, with lies. One of their tactics that they exploit people with are false words, are lies, so that they can get money because they're greedy. So I have about 10 Christian channels on my TV, okay? And so oftentimes, and sometimes it annoys my family, I will sit there and watch these preachers. I'll watch a lot of them, and I'll sometimes get angry, or sometimes I'll be like, wow, yeah, this guy's great. So I've been watching the past week, and I've noticed a few things that I've noticed a lot. And here are some things to watch out for when it comes to teachers. Number one, a lot of them speak in the first person. Pastor Brett is telling you that today, right? First person, and they'll say it loud, okay? And they try to get your affirmation. Did you, didn't you hear me? Come on, I know you heard that. Pastor Brett doesn't teach lies. Come on, clap a little louder. They're, they're, they, they want affirmation. They want people to clap for them, and they're great words. Another thing, this one is rampant all over the place. And there's two words, a faith seed. Just give me a little faith seed of a little bit of money. And I'm going to take that seed and it's going to become a big harvest. And it's going to, it's going to increase tenfold. 
That sounds real biblical, doesn't it? Like Old Testament-y, King Jamesy, producing a harvest with my faith seed. But that faith seed is a lot of money. Okay? These, these men are teaching you to plant a seed of money. They're not teaching them how to plant the seed of the gospel, which is the seed Jesus actually talked about. Plant your seed of money in me, in my ministry. It's not plant the seed of the gospel in other people. Um, there's one I heard this week, couple, okay? One of them was a miracle prayer cloth. Just give me your faith seed, and I'm going to give you this piece of cloth. And if you sleep with it or you hold it, you're holding the miracles of God in your hand. I'm not kidding you. And so you get, I get online, I look it up on this pastor's website, and it says, give your highest amount that you can give, and we'll send you a prayer cloth. Give us $50, we'll give you a prayer cloth and a book. Send us $100, we'll send you the prayer cloth and two books. Give us $1,000, and we'll give you a prayer cloth, two books, and a picture to put on your wall. You'll have more of the blessing of God if you have this prayer cloth, and it will heal you. That's what he was saying. Give me $1,000 for a piece of cloth. Another one, this one's my favorite, Miracle Manna. Basically, this guy was selling saltines and saying, if you have this Miracle Manna, just as it took the Israelites out of the pro- or into the promised land, it will take you into your promised land if you just buy these crackers and eat them. I'm not kidding you. One other guy, he said, we're teaching tonight from my book, holds up his little book. My seven ways that you need, the things you must do in order to find success. And they weren't biblical whatsoever. And then he said, oh, 10 times, get out your credit card. And go quickly, 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 quickly. Go to the phone. Give me $1,000. We're looking for 300 people to give $1,000 to my ministry. And that little faith seed of $1,000 is going to grow. It's going to explode. There's going to be a great harvest. Okay? He's raising his voice. Quickly, quickly, quickly. He said that about 100 times. Go to your phone. Quickly, quickly. And then he said this. I heard a man of God say, watch out for that one, that the credit card that got you in trouble is the same credit card that can, or that got you in trouble can get you out of the same trouble. So you get that credit card that got you into trouble and you give me $1,000 and God is going to wipe out your credit card debt. I saw that three nights ago. If it was the Old Testament and I could jump through the screen, right? You got to watch out. In their greed, they're going to entice you and lie to you. Those are lies. And they tell you stories about when they were 17 and God said, Pastor Brett, And guess what? I wasn't even a pastor yet. Amen? Ah, People freak out. He said, if I just give him $1,000, he's going to multiply it. And look at me now. I'm a multimillionaire. He'll do the same for you. I've heard that over and over and over again in their greed. If you encounter a teacher who's selling something to you that's promising you miracles, run away. What would Dave Ramsey do if he heard him say about the credit card thing? Dave Ramsey would kill him. (laughs) So we're told that their teaching is destructive to those who follow them. And they're bringing on themselves swift destruction. And in verse 3, it says that their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. This is saying that their condemnation and destruction may not seem to take place in the timing you want it to happen. Because when those guys are selling me their miracle prayer cloth, I'm like waiting for lightning. But it doesn't happen. But God says, don't worry, I'm in control of that. And we'll find out later that their destruction comes also in the end. Let's jump to verse 10. Look at verse 10. We'll skip a few verses and jump to verse 10. The end of verse 10, Peter calls them names, and he says they're bold and willful. It basically means that they make daring and audacious claims like 
Here's a little prayer cloth that'll take away all your problems. They're bold and they're willful. That means they're arrogant. Those are their tactics. They're bold and they're arrogant. Some people like arrogance. Why do we think we like to watch Chef Ramsay take care of people's food and their restaurants? Because he knows what he's doing. And you're like, yeah, tell him. Arrogance is attractive. But not in the kingdom of God. It shouldn't be. So they're bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. What does that mean? A couple of people have a different, couple different opinions, but I'll give you the two that are the best, okay? When it says they don't tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, they're either false prophets who speak lies and they blaspheme angelic beings, or they speak lies about true Christians and leaders in the church. But regardless of what exactly it means, they don't respect spiritual authority that's over them. And they teach others to do the same. You just listen to me. It's all you need, they say. And then Peter says in verse 11, whereas angels, on the other hand, the angels, though they're greater in might and power, they do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. One commentator just basically said this. He said, even with the angels, when the Lord is near, our tongues are controlled. So even the angels, even though they see these puny little humans speaking terrible things about God and terrible things about them and terrible things about good preachers, the angels, they shut up. Because in the presence of God, our tongues should be tamed. Peter goes on in verse 12, he says, But these, the false preachers, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. False teachers operate on instinct. So animals who operate on instinct are only out for their own survival and whatever makes them feel the best. So I watched a guy last night. This was great. He was preaching to about 2,000 men, okay? And so he's preaching and he realized something worked. That's what false teachers do. They'll realize something works while they're preaching to get people going and yelling and screaming and amening really loud and they keep doing it. So this guy, he would say something, holding his microphone, and everybody was like, yeah, he'd say it louder. And then he'd jerk. And they were like, yeah. And then he ran across the stage. And they were like, whoa, praise the Lord. He's running. He kept running. Like back and forth across the stage. Then he stopped and he say something again. And look at him and smile. And they'd be like, yeah. And they'd rerun again. It was like he operated on instinct. That, it, that's, that was, it's part of his motivation. You can write that down. They operate on instinct because all they care about is their own success. If people like me more when I run and scream, I'm going to run and scream more. If that gets them going. Verse 12 also says that false teachers oftentimes teach and destroy because of their ignorance. Basically, that saying that indicates that a lot of false teachers, they don't know what they're talking about. And they haven't been formally trained. They might have a degree in Bible from, they bought online for 20 bucks. That can happen, you know that? You buy an online degree for 20 bucks. They're ignorant a lot of times. And it says they're suffering wrong. Suffering wrong means that there's damage and harm and injury coming their way because of their own wrongdoing. The trouble that awaits them is they're, they're going to suffer harm. Verse 13, we're told they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They're blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. So false teachers love to party it up. They live high in the hog, as we say, and they do it during the daytime, and they don't care who sees them, but at the same day, they're going to eat dinner with the church. They're acting like crazy people during the day and having dinner at night with the church, and they don't care. 
They don't hide it. It says, he says there's stains on the church in the name of Christ. There's stains, they're blots, they're blemishes. They're big blemishes, they're big zits on the church is what they are. Ephesians 5, 26 says, and it's talking about Christ's work and his goal for the church. It says uh, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus wants the church to be without blemishes and spots. He wants to get rid of all the false teaching. And the church is only going to have that when we teach from his word, God's word, not from man's word. And just like Peter said in chapter one, we didn't follow myths. We didn't follow lies and, and things that people told us. But false teachers do, and they want you to follow the same thing. Do you want God to cleanse you? Do you want to be holy before the Lord? Do you want Jesus to cleanse you by the washing of his word? Then listen to his word. Verse 14, it says, They have eyes full of adultery. They're insatiable for sin. They are entice and unsteady souls, and they have hearts trained in greed. So many times false teachers, because of their, they, they don't like authority, because they have a lot of money, because they are a great personality, they're a good teacher, it says their eyes are always on the prowl for the next sexual encounter. Where there's false teaching, I guarantee you, you're going to find some sexual immorality. It's going to be there. We're told that they're never satiated. They're insatiable for sin. It's like they have hunger for sin and they just can't get enough. They're not satisfied. Part of their motivation, you can write down, is adultery or sexual things. We're also told that one of their tactics to entice unsteady souls, entice is a a fishing term. It's like a lure with a fish. I'm going to show you this pretty little nice thing, and then I'm going to hook you. False teachers prey on those people who don't know Scripture well, they don't know Christ well, and they're unsteady about their souls. They prey on those people because they're easy. If you don't know God's word, you're not going to know a false word. So if I present myself as a man of God, then you're going to believe me. It's probably actually not very difficult to do with some people. Peter then yells at them and he says, accursed children. He basically is pronouncing a curse. You're cursed under God. It's not Peter. He's saying, you guys are cursed. Then he says this, forsaking the right way. They've forsaken the right way of Christ. They've gone astray. They've followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. So Balaam was a false prophet. And then he liked to, there was was this group of prophets. They were for hire. If you pay me enough, oh, sure, I'll prophesy about whatever you want. And so he was trying to be hired by this one king so that the Israel, he would curse the Israelites or prophesy about the Israelite army that was coming, that they would all die and the other guy would win. So he was on his way with this king. He was on his donkey. And to make it quick, the angel of the Lord appeared in front of the donkey as he was riding the donkey and the donkey went off the side of the road. Okay, he did that like three times. And one time he like crushed Balaam's foot that was hanging over the side of the donkey. And the last time the donkey was like, I'm done. And he just fell down and just laid down. Where do you think they got the idea from, of Shrek from? So then the donkey speaks. God lets the donkey talk. And the donkey's like, what are you doing? Because Balaam likes, was like whipping him. He's like, get up, donkey. And was whipping the donkey. And the donkey's like, what are you doing? So then the angel of the Lord appeared again, and Balaam saw him, and he's like, I'm sorry, donkey. I'm sorry. So Balaam was a prophet who only wanted money. And so he's saying these false preachers, all they want is your money. He says, he calls them in verse 17, waterless springs and mist driven by the storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. 
He's saying there's no life in what they say. Like Jesus gave the woman at the well water, living water that, that satisfied her spiritual thirst. These false prophets don't satisfy anything. They are lifeless, waterless springs. And they're like mist that you could blow on the mist and it, it's gone. And their fate in the end, it says, is kind of like a very Lord of the Rings, Gandalf thing, you know. He says that the trouble that awaits them is the gloom of utter darkness. It's been reserved for them. It's basically saying there's a special place in hell for false prophets. Verse 18, he says, For speaking loud boasts of folly. Remember I told you about the guy that was screaming and yelling? That's another tactic that they use. They just talk loud. So if I speak louder and louder and louder, you're going to listen to me. That's what they think. But it says they're, they're speaking loud boasts of folly. And they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So again, they prey on new Christians who are just escaping a really bad life of sin as they lived it with other people. Now they're getting away from it. But the false preachers, because they love money, they love sex, they love partying, pull them back over here into this lifestyle. Verse 19 says, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. They promise these people freedom, financial freedom, right? Sow that seed of $1,000 and God will take all your problems away. Physical freedom. He'll heal. This guy said, just as God healed my cancer with this little prayer piece of cloth, he'll do the same for you. Really? I don't think so promise them freedom to live as they want. But in reality, it says the false prophets themselves are not free, but they're slaves of corruption. Peter then shares kind of his own proverb, his own axiom. At the end of verse 19, he says, for what, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And then we get to a really difficult little section here. And, he, and Peter elaborates. He says, for if after they, I believe he's talking about the false prophets, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. So what does this mean? I'm not exactly totally 100% sure, but I'll give you my 30-second idea. So I believe what he's saying is that the false teachers at one time knew about Jesus, but probably not in a saving way. They knew the way of righteousness in which they should live, so they gave it a try. But then they realized it was profitable. They could get money. They could get women. And because of the money, the opportunity, the time, the access to more people, what happened was they fell back into sin and their way was worse now than it was when they began because of all of the resources that they have. Their state is worse now than ever. After knowing about Jesus and the way of truth, they went back to it. They went back to their money and success and sex and power. And back to what Peter says, whatever overcomes a person to that, he's enslaved. So I be believe that these false preachers, they were overcome with sin. They were not overcome with Christ, ever. They liked the idea of him. They gave it a try a little bit, but they weren't overcome with him. So they were enslaved to sin. And then Peter says this, the dog returns to its own vomit, vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Those are the two most disliked and disgusting animals in that day. Dogs were not domesticated in your house to hold on your lap and pet while you watch TV. They were gross, nasty, full of disease, ate from the trash. And we know how uh, the Jewish people back then thought about pigs and pork. He's calling the false prophets dogs, and he's calling them pigs. And the Old Testament also talks about dogs in another way that I can't even 
say on the platform I don't want to. It's nasty and sexual. So I don't believe the false prophets ever knew Jesus in a saving way at all, or they would have been overcome with him. So back up to verse 4 real quick. We're almost done. He says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness. We just heard that. To be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, listen to this, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Does anybody feel like Lot a little bit? any time. Then the Lord, it says, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority like the false prophets. So if God can save Noah, if God can save Lot from the two worst cultures in the Bible, it says he can rescue us from trials, from temptations, from false prophets who are enticing you with their greed. So if you want to read more about sending angels and Lot and all those good things, if you want to write down Genesis chapter 6 and 18 and 19, you can go home and read those. It would be good for you. But basically saying our hope lies in the fact that God's in control. God's in control of the false prophets? I'm not. I want to be. God's in control of the righteous as well, the godly, because he can rescue us. So what, turn to the back of your notes real quick. What's the verdict for false teachers? What does Peter say? He says they're blots and blemishes on the church. They're cursed by God. They're slaves of corruption. They, ha they are lifeless, waterless springs. And they are overcome by sin and not by Christ. What are you overcome by? Are you overcome by Christ? And for believers, what's the verdict? I just said it. That God can and he will rescue us from trials. If he can save Noah, if he can save Lot, he can save us. What are some practical steps for us real quickly? Number one, know your Bible. If you don't know the truth, you're not going to know error. Simple as that. The second thing, when you're listening to a preacher, anytime, even here, open your Bible. I don't mean know your Bible. Open it up or on your phone or whatever, but have it open. Have it open. There's a lot of times I'm watching them on TV and they just pick out verses to prove whatever they want to prove, but the verses around the verses that they use are totally speaking against what they just said. I think of the Bereans in Acts that they, they went home after Paul preached and they searched the scriptures to see if Paul was right. Paul. They didn't trust Paul. So search the scriptures to see if the teachers you're listening to are telling you the truth. Number three, Ask some trusted Christians or pastors about the people you listen to. What do you think about so-and-so? What do you think about this person on the radio or on the TV or on the whatever? And I know any of the pastors here would love to sit down and help you figure that out. Okay? We don't know them all, but we'll listen. We'll help you figure it out. Next, pay close attention and run away if they're selling you a magical trinket. Don't buy saltine crackers for $1,000. Just, just go to the store and buy some and pray. Okay? They're selling you something. Be careful. And last, if you sense something weird in what someone's teaching, even maybe it's here, say something. If you sense something, say something. I don't know. If you're listening to somebody teach, you're like, hmm, I don't know. Say something. Okay? I've had people come to me after I've taught and said, you know, 
not that I was teaching anything false, but they're like, I think maybe you missed a little something there. And I'm like, wow, you're right. So if you sense something, maybe it's something that even sounds like it's false teaching or heresy, say it, tell somebody, okay? So here's the thing. Be careful who you listen to. Don't just flip on your TV and be like, ooh, that guy's got a nice suit and nice hair and a bunch of people yelling at him. Wow, he must be telling the truth. Be careful. Be very careful. Okay? That's what Peter's saying, I think, with a heart of love, even though it's a little harsh. Is that God's in control, but you need to watch out for these slick, rich guys who sound a little funny and they yell a little louder than everybody else. And they talk about themselves more than they talk about God. we got to watch out, okay? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. We thank you so much um, for this passage of Scripture. And we thank you for the warning in it. I pray you'll help us to heed that warning. Lord, I ask that you'll give us a lot of wisdom when we're listening to teachers and preachers. Help us to uh, have great discernment. Help us to know your word, first of all, before we even turn on TV to listen to somebody. Help us to know your word. Help us to open up your word first. And Lord, I just ask that you will um, help anybody in here. If they realize, maybe, maybe I've been listening to the wrong people. Help them to um, come back to the way of truth. And Lord, I just ask that you will allow us to... Um, have eyes to see and ears to hear, as Pastor Steve said, that we would just be able to hear what your truth is. We know that that Jesus said uh, that his sheep hear his voice and listen to him. I pray that you'll help us to hear the voice of Jesus more than we hear the voice of anyone else and help us to follow him and obey him.